Good evening, Tucson Mountain Baptist Church. Very glad that you folks are here. Let's bow for a, a brief prayer. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for this special time that we are, are gathered together. We thank you for each person that's here. We also thank you for those that are or will be uh, listening 
online and uh, ask you to bless them. Uh, Lord, we come here in your name and we want to worship you, learn from you, and uh, pray and give you all the praise. And Lord, help us to realize uh, our many limitations, but we can lean on you uh, in all these difficult times that we are in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to sing the chorus of, uh, and this will be a cappella, uh, <laughs> because we don't have the music for every song. He's still working on me. I hope that you know this song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. One more time. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars. The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And Mrs. Baker has a has a uh, uh, announcement. Come on, Ryan. There's part of my team. Come on, Bella. talk to you guys about a couple things tonight that have really been sort of coming out in a lot of different areas. And um, I want to talk to you about the five biggest problems we face as a, as a globe 
five global giants, if you would. It's on the outline. And I want to talk to you about the eight reasons or eight characteristics that the church is the best one to deal with those five biggest giants. So there's five global giants. In the, in, it's some of our biggest problems, not just as a church, but as the world. And the very first one is spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness. Now, I looked up all these statistics I'm going to give you tonight, and they're probably from about... The, the, the latest one is June, and the last one is, is the middle of this month, like the 15th of September. So, <clears throat> right now there are 7.9 billion people in the world. 7.9 billion people. And I want you to think about this. According to Pew Institute back in June or July, 31% of the world's population profess to be Christian. Only 31%. 69% were either another religion, if you want to call it that, or they were called nons. They were, they were either um, absolute atheist or they were undetermined. They wouldn't say what they were. Okay? So billions of people, if you equate that to some numbers and start thinking about it, there's more than 5.2 billion people that have no hope for Jesus, no hope in Christ. And it's just, it's just an amazing amount of people to me. Um, they don't know that they were made by God. They don't know that God made them to serve him and for, to be loved by him. So they're really missing out on a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration. But it's a, it's a situation there where it's very, very difficult for me to wrap my mind around. Um, they don't know, really, if you think about it, they don't know really what their next step in life is because they don't know why they're here. So it's a hard process for them. Um, we understand we have a home in heaven. To them, many of them, this body, this life is all there is. So it, it becomes a problem. Do you realize that in the next year, if we go from today till this very day next year, same date, 56 million people will die. 56 million people worldwide. Most of those folks, if you look at those numbers and we equate it back to the 7.9 and the 5.2 million people that don't know Jesus, most of those people are going to die without Christ. Two-thirds of them. A little more than two-thirds of them, actually. Um, they don't have a relationship with God, so they can't sense his love. They can't sense his victory. They can't sense what it means in their lives to have him in their life. The second biggest problem we face is egocentric, egocentric leadership. Now, that's a big one, and I need to explain this one. Egocentric leadership is leaders across the globe that are more self-serving than they are serving others. They have more self-importance built into their agenda. They get in an office or they get in a place of influence and their whole goal 
and life is dedicated to keeping that power and staying in that position of influence. And most of the time, it's not a good position of influence. It's a negative position of influence. Jesus said leadership is not about having being served. It's about serving others. He tells us that. If we want to be great, we need to learn to be the servant of all like Jesus was. He goes over that. He said the purpose of leadership is to serve others. Now there's different ways, different capacities to serve others. We understand that. But it's to serve others. <clears throat> it's not what's best for me. It's what's best for the people you serve. That's how Jesus did it. But unfortunately, what kind of world do we live in? Let's think about this. Our world is, is, is full of corrupt unethical, immoral, and illogical people. We see it every day, all around the world, not just in our country, but in many, many other countries. Jasper and I were having a conversation the other day, and we were conversing about something, and he says, oh, it's worse than the Philippines. I said, really? <laughs> he said, oh yeah, they're, he said their government is terribly, terribly corrupt. The problem is you can find those individuals in any community, in any business, and unfortunately, in many churches. We find those type of individuals. Um, the whole process is they get a thrill out of bossing other people around. They want to be in charge so that they can be bullies in a lot of instances. Um, they don't have the character, the credibility, or, or the conviction and compassion that Jesus had. And that's what we're supposed to have is those convictions and compassions and character that Christ had. The third thing we struggle with, the third biggest problem, I think, is poverty. Poverty. Do you realize, and I just got this statistic this afternoon, and it's through the middle of September, more than 40% of the world's population lives on less than $3 a day. Over half the world lives on less than $12,000 a year. If you equate that out to the $3 a day, a little less than $3 a day, it's $42 a month. How many of you could live, feed your family, have a place to sleep, and put kids, clothes on your kids' back for $42 a month? We can't even fill up our gas tank for $42 a month. Right? Um, it's unbelievable. There's tens of millions of people that go to, will go to bed tonight hungry. And it's a sad state of affairs. The fourth biggest problem I think we have is disease. Disease. The drought is causing famines in parts of the world. And it's funny, I, I joke with Kathy sometime, I don't think the world's paying attention. Because if they read Daniel and they read Revelation, they, they the handwriting is really on the wall for a lot of these things. How soon it's going to come, I don't know. I'm not even going to venture to guess. But you know what? It says we're going to be burned up. Right? Volcanoes are erupting. New islands are being formed. They say climate change is causing all these problems. Lakes and rivers and streams are drying up. 
Do you ever think it's much like cooking frogs? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I That's good. No, I, at least I got somebody who agrees with me. I know exactly what you're talking about because I've been feeling that, for like saying that, for like it's supposed to be a year. You know, it's that, pop, that frog in that pot of water that's slowly getting turned up. I don't think the world is really paying attention like they should yet. And I wonder as the time grows closer, depending on how rapidly Christ moves and God moves us towards that final days, if they'll be more people interested in the things of Christ. Because right now, they're going the other way. They're running away from it. They're not coming to it. Um, here's the problem. All that, all that stuff I've spoken about so far is, is really unacceptable. But, but this disease issue is really unacceptable to me in a lot of different ways. There's billions of people right now that are suffering from things that we have the cure for already. So what's preventing our world leaders from saying, you know what, enough is enough, we're going to fix this. They don't have the intestinal fortitude, that's guts for you that don't know, <laughs> to stand up and say, you know what, we need to unite at least to take care of this issue. Maybe we can't unite on all these other things. Maybe we've got some other differences. But we can unite on some of these issues. Think about this. We have the cure for yellow fever, typhus, Polio, measles, mumps, leprosy. We know the cure for most waterborne eye diseases that make people go blind. All these things. And yet, there's millions of people who are still suffering from it. Do you realize that AIDS, HIV positive, all that stuff, <coughs> the pandemic, think about how quickly they responded Regardless of your politics, think of how quickly they responded to come up with the vaccinations for that. Do any of you know why they were able to do that so quickly? Say it again, Kev. They well, they worked together to a degree. The scientists did. They didn't want to get sick. <laughs> they didn't want to get sick. The leaders were in peril. The leaders were in peril. But it was already a derivative of SARS. SARS disease, this pandemic that we had because of COVID, is closely related to SARS. And they already had vaccines for SARS. So they manipulated those vaccines to help fight COVID. It's amazing to me. We have all this stuff, but they're not taking care of any of these people. The fifth thing, the fifth global giant I think we really struggle with is illiteracy. More than 50% of the world cannot read or write. All this modern technology we have with computers, all this great stuff, a lot of third world countries don't have computers in the outlying areas, I understand that. But we've got all this great technology, and what good is an internet connection if they can't read or write. Now, through the um, plus side of the videos and the technology to do the audio, if they can listen and see, there's a better chance of them understanding. But I mean, you have to think about those things. Those five problems, how long have we had those problems? Forever, Forever right? 
Has any government solved them? Has the United States solved them? Has the United Nations solved them? So what's the answer? Jesus is the answer, part of it, but the church, the church, the body of Christ, is the real answer. Do you think God expects us to get involved in maybe taking care of just a little chunk of that? Do you think he really wants us to help in those endeavors? I think he does. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Listen, we are blessed to be a blessing. Isn't that what scripture tells us? And I'm not just talking about opening up your wallet and emptying it out into the collection plate. Time, talents, gifts, all those things come into play. <clears throat> God is one day going to hold us all accountable. We're going to stand, stand before God and he says, what did you do? What did you do as an individual to help with any of these issues? Did you contribute any time? Did you contribute any money? What did you do to help feed the hungry? What did you do to help with the diseases? What did you do to help with someone's illiteracy? There's people hurting all around us. There's a multitude of ways we can help. have to remember there's a reason that we're here and like I said before it's not just to sit and soak in a spiritual hot tub we need to get out of the hot tub after a while God put us on this planet to learn to serve him and to help others and that reward we're going to get for all that is when we get the eternity in heaven here's the problem none of us are going to be here very long Life is short, right? Pretty short if you think about it. Even if you live 80, 85 years, not a long time when compared to eternity. And he says, you know what? I think if you're going to get on with it, you ought to do it now. Don't wait. Because he says you may not have as many days as you think. When we look at these major five problems and we think about these, sometimes you look at those, if you look at those all together cumulatively, it's like it's too overwhelming. I don't know what to do with it, right? It's too much. I told Jasper the other day, he said he'd never heard that. I said, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? We take those issues and we break them down. You know, what happened when David, little bitty David, ran out to face Goliath, who was his giant in his day, and he went up against him and he smote him in the head with one little stone, and then went over there and cut off his head. What, what took place? All the Israelites got excited and said, hey, yay, God, let's go. And they chased him out and took them all out, pretty much. All the way back to the gates of Eglon. We need to start somewhere. The church is the one that is best suited to handle these things. And the reason the church is best suited, we have distinct capabilities and abilities. Let me explain. We have the largest participation, the absolute largest participation. 
Ephesians 3.10 from the message says, Though Christians like yourselves gather in churches, this extraordinary plan in God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. What we're doing, what God is doing through us, is talked about by the angels. Do you realize that 2.2 billion people like I said, 2.2 billion people right now claim to be Christians across the globe. That's a lot of people. That's one-third of the world's population, we said earlier. Just a little under. Nothing comes close to the size of the army that God has. But what's happened to the army? Anybody want to venture to guess? Have we surrendered already? Think about that question for a minute. Number two is we have the widest distribution. We have the widest capability of being a distribution. What do I mean by that? Colossians 1.6 says, All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. The church is everywhere in the world. You can go to the smallest village in Africa and there won't be anything there, but there'll be a church building. And that church building is their community center, it's their grocery store, it's their water supply, everything is that church. Even in the most remote places, there's a church. They don't have anything, but they've got that. Do you realize, now I said billion, 2.2 billion. Do you know who the largest franchise or corporation is in the United States? Walmart. You know who the largest one in the world is? Amazon's number two, by the way. You know who the largest one in the world is? Walmart. Do you know how many employees they have? They have a mere 1.8 million. How many Christians did I say there were? 2.2 billion? Who's got the army? It's God's army. We need to think about that. Also, we have the longest continuation. The longest continuation. What do I mean by that? How long has church been around? 2,000 plus years, right? Uh, Walmart's not been around 2,000 years. Amazon ain't been around 2,000 years. Why? Because God is God. And he's got the bigger army. And that army is indestructible. We need to remember that. We're all soldiers in that army. And God has called us and expecting us and requiring us to do something. We just have to figure out what that something is. Matthew 16, 18, the second part says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Listen, I'm not a predictor of the future. I don't want you to think that. 
because I don't even profess to even go that direction. But I believe if the world is allowed to continue for another thousand years, the United States isn't going to be here as we know it. Why do you think that is? What's the thing, what's the thing with governments and empires and, and, yeah, what's the thing with government and empire? Do they last forever? No. They fall. Exactly right. The church has not fallen. The church has not failed. That verse says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. If that's the case, then what do we have to fear? What, what do we need to do? Listen, governments rise and fall. Regimes rise and fall. Empires rise and fall. But the church has not risen and fallen. Why? Because the church was made to last forever. You were made to last forever. We weren't made to come and go by the wayside. We were made to last forever. We talked a minute ago, everything on this planet is going to get burned up, right? Not going to be anything left. Where are we going to be? Not here, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're not here. The fourth thing, we actually have the fastest expansion. Now that expansion has slowed down in the last 10 years. But we have the fastest expansion situation. Faster than governments, faster than business. It used to be said that every 24 hours, Around the world, more than 50,000 people came to Christ. I couldn't find this statistic. About 15 years ago, they said 50,000 people every 24 hours came to Christ. Now, I don't know what it is today, but I know it's still a lot of people who are coming to Christ. We have to keep that in mind. Acts 6.1 in the New Living Translation said the believers rapidly multiplied. It wasn't something that was just hit and miss. They rapidly multiplied. Acts 16.5. The churches grew daily in their numbers. That's exponential growth. What would we do? And I've told you guys this before. I, I, have, I have my concerns. I have my queries in my mind why we don't have exponential growth in the church, not just this church, but churches today, I don't think we're really, really, really prepared for it. Do you think we're prepared to, if we have typically 110 to 120 people here on a Sunday morning out here, okay? I think that's the right number, something close. What would happen if we had a 50% increase and all of a sudden 50 extra people showed up? Are we prepared for it? Are we ready? I don't think we are. What's to get ready? We need to get ready. What, what do you have to get ready for? There's 50 more people. We need to be prepared to receive them. We need to be prepared to talk to them. We need to be prepared for them coming forward. We need altar counselors. We need mentors. We need disciplers. 
We need individuals who will do what needs to be done to make sure those people don't come in the front door and run out the back door. You understand what I'm saying? You're awful quiet. Also, number five, we have the highest motivation. We have the absolute highest motivation. What does that mean? Why do we do what we do? Do we do what we do for money? No. Typically, what we get in goes out, right? One way or another. Matthew 22, 37, 39 says, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, we're going back to the conviction and the compassion and the courage that he's talking about. There's two things he says. There's only two things. If we focused on just those two things, we're so busy we wouldn't have time to get in trouble. Love the Lord and love God. If we genuinely did that, we could stay busy enough to keep ourselves out of trouble. We do what we do with all our outreach ministries because you guys love people. You're concerned about people. You want to help take care of people. No matter what service industry you might work in, you do what you do because you, maybe you do part of it to earn a paycheck, but you do it because you enjoy helping others. That's key. Why is the right motivation important? Anybody? Why do you think the right motivation is important? We get more done safe when? I said if you're not motivated, the church is going to die. Okay, if we're not motivated, church is going to die. But if we don't stay motivated for the right reason, we'll quit too soon. We'll give up. Because we'll look at it and it'll be an insurmountable obstacle and we'll say, oh, I can't deal with that. But how many insurmountable obstacles? I'll get it out. Insurmountable obstacles that we face every day. Is the world the same? And I asked this last week. Is the world the same 10 years ago as it was today? Heavens no. Look at all the stuff we've been through in the last 10 years. Just in the last three years. Chris, did you have your hand up? Well, I think motivation also follows your gifts. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Number six, we have the strongest authorization. Who authorizes us to do what we do? God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. I can't think of anybody stronger and more important than God, can you? We are authorized by God. Brian. I have a question going back. Being, being prepared and, and not to be argumentative or anything, but yeah. I think that if we had 50 more people show up and we had to deal with that, 
I'm confident that the Lord would provide, that, that people would step up. I mean, it, it's hard to say that, you know, we probably don't have these things in place, but, and I think the Lord provides when the situation is right. I, I agree to a point. But I do believe we could do more preparation to be prepared. That, that's my key point. I think there's some things that we've missed the mark on. And if you want to call it a sin, call it a sin. Um, part of it's probably on my part. Probably, probably some of it's on other people's part. But you know what? We can fix it. I'm not worried about pointing fingers at people. I want to get it fixed. I think it's very, very important that if we have two families of five each show up this sun, next Sunday, we're ready to receive those five, ten extra people and say, you know what, here's what we'd like you to know, here's what we'd like you to have. Now, every time somebody fills out a guest registration card and lets us know that they were here, they get a card by Tuesday, it's out in the mail saying, hey, we're so glad you came. We hope it was worth your time, energy, and effort. We hope you learned something. If there's any way we can, if you have any questions or any concerns or would like just to come and sit down and have a cup of coffee, this is my number. This is the church's number. This is when we're typically here. Come by and chat with us. All that information goes out to them within three working days. And it's, and it's so that we reach out to them. We contact them. We let them know, hey, we really do appreciate your being here. And some of those people have come back in and sit down and talk with us. Some of them haven't. They're, 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 they're a one-shot deal. So it just depends. Matthew 28, 18, and 20 says, All authority. All authority. Think about that. Not just some authority. Not just a little bit of authority. But all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations... And surely I am with you always. Now Jesus had all absolute authority. And he's giving us the under authority, if you would, to follow in his footsteps and do the exact same thing. There's no greater authority to do what we're doing than what Jesus has given us. I think it's important for us to remember if God has authorized us to do something we shouldn't worry about failure you know I've been, I've been really studying the prophets of old recently and I think about all these poor prophets and some of the odd things that God told them to do and I read about some of this stuff and I'm thinking those people had to think they were out of their ever-loving minds. And maybe that's, maybe that's exactly what God wanted them to think. I don't know. But they would lead the people. They would tell, I think about the judges. I read all the judges, and I'm thinking, these poor judges, they, they, would, they would go from town to town. They'd help try to get the people back on track. They'd, they'd make the decisions. They'd help the people move closer to God. And then it was cyclic in nature. We know with the Israelites, they would they would sin, they'd get in trouble, they'd cry out, God would come rescue them, and you know they'd go through the same thing all over again. It just amazes me these prophets and how they were treated by the people. 
Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. To him be the glory of the church. Listen, I got a big imagination. I can imagine a lot of stuff, and I have imagined a lot of stuff for this body of believers. But you know what? God says you think the biggest thing you can think of. You imagine the biggest thing you can think of happening, and I'll show you something bigger. You haven't even touched the surface of it. But, there's a caveat. You don't get the credit. God wants the credit. We can't take the credit. God gets the credit. Number seven. The church has the simplest administration. What do I mean by that? We have the simplest administration if it's done right. Listen. The church is organized to network faster than any, or, any other organization worldwide. You think about it. We are set up to network and we can do things without a bunch of bureaucracy or red tape. When there's a disaster like what's going on in Florida right now tonight, what are some of the organizations that are first on the scene? Samaritan's Purse, Christian organizations, churches. They're the first ones. They respond faster than the government, typically. Why? Because they're networked differently. They come in differently. They come in and they work alongside each other. They team up. They minister with one another. And they get the job done. Like OCC, exactly. What's the administration organizational chart of the church? Not, I'm talking about the global church, not our church, but the global church. What's the organizational chart? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Simple. Every member is a minister. It's simple. Every member is a minister. If every member is a minister and every minister is doing their ministry, there's not a lot of red tape. There's not a lot of bureaucracy. There's not a lot of slowdown in the process. Stuff gets done. That's what Jesus said. Every member was a minister. Right? Some of you act like you're not too sure. <laughs> First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts. Going back to what Chris said a minute ago. I was getting there, Chris. I just wasn't there yet. <clears throat> Wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others to use your gift well. Listen, if every member is a minister, they need to use their spiritual gift, their heart, their abilities, their personality, and their life experiences to apply that to their ministries. If they do that, there's no way they can fail. Remember what I told you guys? about when we were talking about the structure of church two or three weeks ago, and we were talking about um, working in different ministries till you found where you really fit. And if you didn't have a good fit in the ministry you were working in, we didn't call it a failure, we called it an experiment. And we, we gave you grace and mercy to try something else till you found your right fit. How do you know, how do you know when you come out of school or college and start your first job if it's really the right fit? 
Sometimes you have to do two or three different things, right? It's the same thing with your spiritual gift. Listen, God has called us to get things done, and we need to get things done. It's that simple. There's no bureaucracy, and there's no actual hierarchy. The old style of government, and I, you know I don't like talking about governmental stuff, but the old style of government doesn't work in the world well in the world we live in. The churches are much better geared to take care of the issues of the world. Why? Because there's no better network than the churches. There's no better leader than God. There's millions of Christians and tens of millions of small groups that minister every day around the world. And the only authority they have is the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the only authority they need. Number eight, and then we'll close this part out. It's the greatest conclusion we have the greatest conclusion. Think about this. If you read the book, you know we've already won. In the end, we're going to win. No matter if it's in this physical body lifetime and he takes us away, or we die in this fleshly body and then we get to go be with him. Either way, if we're raptured out or if we get to go meet him before the rapture, doesn't matter. We still win. But we've got to believe that. Matthew 24, 14 says, The good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world to every nation, then the end will come. We haven't hit every nation yet. There's still some of these little tribes off in these most remote places, but we're getting there. In light of those eight advantages that we have as the global church of God, let me ask you a question. Here's the question. If we have the potential for millions of individuals and millions of small groups to do just a little part, what's preventing us from doing it? What's stopping that? I've been trying to answer that question. Ourselves. Say it again. Ourselves. Ourselves. It could be. It could be. What do you think God is going to do, or how do you think God would respond if people just got to better, together and prayed globally to take care of all those things? To start working in people's lives, to encourage them. I mean, Jesus said when he sent the disciples out, and he said, you know, at, at, the fields are ripe for harvest, but pray for the harvesters. We need more harvesters. How do we get more harvesters? We bring people in. We have them get saved. We have them get baptized. They become part of a body, a local body. Then we work with discipleship. And we talk to them about worshiping. We talk to them about fellowship. We talk to them about ministry. We talk to them about missions and maturity. Listen. I know some of you have heard this before, because a very famous man said it. 
A church is not a church is not large based on their seating capacity. They're large based on their sending capacity. We need to be working to sending more people out. The fields are right for harvest. We need to get busy at what God wants us to do. Let's pray and then we'll have some prayer time. Father, some of these things that we talked about tonight I know are it's not a standard time of discussion, but Lord, these things are, are, are five global issues that every country, every state, every city, every region deals with. And Father, we have the opportunity to start working in some of those areas right here in our own backyard in our community. We have the eight best reasons that the church can take care of those issues where, where government or business or, or other things cannot do the same things we are able to do. God has ordained us and given us the opportunity and the authority to do the things that we need to do. And Father, I pray in our lives that we would decide in our hearts and our minds that if, if we're already doing these things, and some of the people in this room are already doing these things, that you would continue giving them the strength and the wisdom and the courage and the intestinal fortitude to continue on. Don't give in. Don't give up. Look up. To God and look up to for his strength and his courage and his desire to continue on. And Father, if, if somebody's heart is being touched to work in some area, some endeavor to help in those areas, to work in those areas, or to maybe even start a new ministry, I pray that you'd encourage them to do that. Help them find the words and, and the support. We as a church are here to support the ministries that reach out and help us know how to do that in a way, all of us, that would ultimately bring glory and honor to you. And we simply ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Praise this prayer request tonight.